Well, good morning, everybody. I'm Larry Jacobs. This is pre K 12 Education Talk Radio the day after the big moon Easter, and we still have electricity. I can't leave it here in southern Maine. It's a miracle. Okay, what can I tell you? Usually, uh, if a, a small bird lands on a branch anywhere in the state during a snowstorm, the electricity in the state completely goes out. But yesterday, we made it through, at least here in little old Cornish, Maine. So, uh, I'm happy to say that we're able to do this show today with my good friends from the, the, the Council for Exceptional Children. We've got Lori Vander Flug here, who has brought with her a lovely panel of the three experts in the field. I'll introduce them all as I bring them on. Okay, Zelphine, Lindsay, and Elizabeth. We're going to talk about the future of special education as their convention, the CEC convention, at the conference, the national conference is in April. So we're, I'm sure they're going to be talking about this there about evolution or revolution, or do we continue doing the same things we're doing and evolve them as the world changes around us in K-12, okay? Or do we make total changes in there for special education? We all know that there's all kinds of changes abounding out there, especially since the pandemic. So we're gonna find out from this absolutely expert panel, we're gonna archive the show over at ace-ed.org. That's the home website for American Consortium for Equity and Education. Education Talk Radio, to which you're listening now. That's me, Larry Jacobs, okay, as your host is the voice of the American Consortium for Equity and Education. And every podcast we've done is archived over at ace-ed.org. You'll see the podcast link. Our magazine is over there as well. It's called Equity and Access. Darn good issue. Check it out. We're putting together next month's issue literally as we speak. Everything we do over there is free for you if you're in education, so please go check it out over at ace Ed.org. Without further ado, let me say good morning to my old friend, Lori. Lori Vanderplug, everybody, the Assistant Executive Director at CEC. Good morning, Lori. Good morning, Larry. Thank you for having us this morning. We're very excited to be here with you. I'm excited to have you here. I'm thrilled that we were able to do the show. I wrote to you yesterday that there was a slim possibility we could lose. Actually, it was more than slim, but somehow, okay, it worked, and we have electricity. So I'm glad you're here today, Lori. Thanks for being here. Okay, and let me introduce everybody. Okay, Zelphine, are you there? Good morning. I'm here. Good, good morning. And I, I tell everybody, tell me if I'm not pronouncing your name correctly. Is it Zelphine? I want to make sure. Yes, yes that's Zelphine. correct. Zelphine Smith-Dixon is the Chief of Student Support in Rockdale County Public Schools in Georgia. Okay, good old Georgia. Just tell everybody where that is in Georgia, Rockdale County. Zelphine. Rockdale County is actually located within the metro region, about 27 miles outside of Atlanta. Braves fan? Braves fan? Let's go down the list. Braves fan? Falcons fan? Zelphine? Uh, of course, yes. Okay. <laughs> just, just checking. And I read today where you you guys might be getting a hockey team soon. They're looking at it, okay? Just so you know. There We're you go. excited. Right. There. <laughs> I can tell. Okay, we're going to have a nice conversation. Lindsay, are you there? I am here. Hello. Good morning. Hello, Lindsay. Call me Larry. Lindsay Jones is the Chief Executive Officer of CAST. Tell everybody about CAST, Lindsay. CAST is a 40-year-old organization that really specializes in something we invented called Universal Design for Learning, which is a way to help educators and curriculum developers um, customize for the way all students learn. 
Yeah, exactly right. I do love UDL, but I didn't know that you guys say that you guys invented it, Cast. Yes, Cast invented Universal Design for Learning. Wow. When you say that, I just have to ask: Did you, did you design, come up with the concept, or did you guys come up with actual things that that make for UDL? What, 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 no, we did. What you're saying, it's great. Yeah. No, we designed the concept. So as you know, the concept is embodied in a framework, and yeah. it is the framework of decision-making that helps guide either educators or, or curriculum developers or anyone to customize mm-hmm. education um, to the way that we know that brains learn. So we developed that framework, and then there's, like, checkpoints and guidelines that help people use it. I love what you just said because we have to make sure that everybody understands how brains work. And I always say this, I was an educator for years, okay, and I, got, I graduated a Bachelor of Science in Education. This is back 2,000 years ago when science had first been invented. I'm so old, okay? But, okay, it's a Bachelor of Science, but the one thing I never had anything to do with my learning was science, okay? They never bothered to talk to us about neuroscience and how we learn. And that, to me, is a key thing that we really have to make sure educators understand. And also workforce trainers have to understand how people learn. So what you guys at CAST do is extremely important. It applies the knowledge we have of neuroscience, how we learn to the actual teaching of kids. I think that's really terrific stuff, Lindsay. That's my rant for this morning about CAST. There you go. <laughs> that's great. Thank you, Larry. Okay. I think it's important. By the way, C-A-S-T, CAST.org, what, what does CAST stand for? I don't think it stands for anything now, but it used to. Tell me, out. what's C-A-S-T? Yeah, it did. It still does, but it's not as reflective of what we do. It stands for Center for Applied Special Technology. And that's oh, wow. because it started that way, right, as they use neuroscience to determine how can technology make the environment more flexible and engaging. Um, it really, it was the work that was the foundation then for UDL, which applies to things far beyond technology. Well, thank you very much. The uh, science of education, the science of learning, if I may. Okay, over cast.org, everybody can check it out. Uh, Dr. Bettini, Elizabeth, are you there? Hi, nice to be with you this morning. Thank you. It's a pleasure to have you here. Tell us about what you do as an associate professor at Wheelock College okay, in education and human development. Just give us your background a little bit and tell us how you work at Wheelock. Sure. sure. So I taught students with emotional and behavioral disorders for a long time in Connecticut and then in Arizona and always really loved the kids. I felt like I didn't have all the resources necessary to meet their needs. And so now the primary thing that I do is I do research on the special education teacher workforce and particularly how working conditions shape special educators' instruction, their retention, and um, where, where they choose to teach. Mm-hmm. And are you based in Boston? I'm sorry? Are you based in Boston? I am, yes. Good. I'm up in Maine. How was the snowstorm yesterday? It was not a snowstorm. It was a bit of a letdown. It was a rainstorm. <laughs> <laughs> It's spoken like a Bostonian. You just can't please them with the weather. I don't know what's going on down no. there. We had about we had, <laughs> we had about have ten snow inches. Rain. <laughs> we had ten inches. Come on up, visit us. Okay, Southern oh. babe. 
That's great on that big nor'easter. Okay, Elizabeth, it's really nice to meet you. Okay, thank you for being here today. Okay, really appreciate Thanks for it. Me. Okay. And now, Lori's going to put this all in perspective, and Lori is the associate executive director over at CEC, the Council for Exceptional Children, good friends of ours. Lori, uh, we're talking about evolution or revolution regarding the future of special ed, okay? And this is a CEC rolling out what we're talking about here. Where do you want this to go? How did it all start? What's, what's driving the change? Lori Vanderplug, uh, everybody, the one and only. Yeah, great question, Larry. So actually, we had our uh, CEC 2023 convention and expo at the beginning of March in Louisville. Oh, I'm sorry. I, I'm sorry. No, what that's was I looking at. I, I, and we, for some, we go ahead. Yeah, anyway, no, I'm sorry. But, Forgive me. Yeah. So we had a we had a panel of experts. We've got three of them here today um, that helped us think differently about the future of special education. And what they think needs to continue on the current path, it's really going to help us build a sustainable system of support, um, particularly coming off of the pandemic. Uh, what needs to change significantly uh, in order for us to really increase our results and, and our outcomes. So in other words, you know, as you had mentioned earlier, it's what needs to evolve and what really needs a revolution. Uh, we had the audience had some paddles, paddles with the evolution on one side and revolution on the other side. And so we had a lot of audience participation um, as well to engage them in the thinking process. But um, today, Lindsay and Delphine and Liz um, are going to talk about three different topics around the evolution and revolution. So we focused on instruction, collaboration, and then personnel preparation. Um, and we discussed on the panel really what's working that we want to continue to evolve and yeah. what really will require a change. So we know the future is going to be very different. Uh, than it is today, uh, and we need to ensure that we are preparing our educational personnel, our infants, our toddlers, our children, our youth with disabilities, and their families uh, for yeah. the future change. And so the three of them are going to give you all sorts of ideas <laughs> around evolution and revolution um, with uh, instruction, collaboration, and personnel preparation. Instruction, collaboration, and personnel preparation. I got to I got to answer for something for me, Gloria. I'm going nuts here. I'm looking on the internet right now and it says the 2023 CEC, oh, maybe it's the virtual convention, is April 25th. Oh, what am I looking at here? We had the in am I looking at the wrong thing? Yeah, we had the in-person convention uh, the beginning of March. We had about uh, 3,600 attendees. And then uh, for those that were unable to attend in person, we're offering them um, a virtual option so that they can okay. still um, – the panel and you know gather as much information from great sessions as possible and you know it's funny because i certainly know you guys and when i saw this up there in the back of my mind i, I thought to myself i thought this already happened but then i saw the april 25th date and I, I thought i must be mixing it up with somebody else so thank you for clearing that up for me to make me yep. sane today okay thanks Lord. okay all right so yep. let's start with them <laughs> let's start and lord do you want to be involved in the panel or should i just go to the three ladies you know, I was extras. involved in the original panel, but I, w I think these three um, have more content to deliver, um, so I'm going to let them take it over. Sure. Okay, well, then we're going to start over here with Zelfine, and we're going to start at the very, very beginning here. The evolution. What's working well, Zelfine, and what, you, what, what, should, what should continue? And I want to say something else here, which Lori struck me. I was thinking about this this morning. Zelfine, we have more and more kids who, who are, uh, need special education help, special education 
teachers are in, in fact special. Okay, they really do good work and they really know how to how to teach kids. Okay, of all types and more and more kids in special ed are mainstreamed, etc. But most standard teachers, like I was a history teacher, okay, uh, don't have any training in this. Okay, and I'm just curious as we talk about you know personnel. I, I think there's got to be more training for these people. People have to understand that it, 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 through their gra- undergraduate work, uh, you know, in college, and just just a, a thought of mine, but just. Tell me what's going on. What's working well out there, and, and what should we continue to evolve? Let's start with Zelphine, okay, from Georgia. Awesome. So thank you, Larry. And I'd like to lead off by saying from an evolution standpoint what's working well. Uh, currently in the field, we are implementing what's called a multi-tiered system of support, and it's yeah. really built on a foundation that, number one, all kids need good instruction. So can we just say that together? All kids deserve good instruction. And, Larry, a special education is not an intervention for bad instruction. So we've really got to make sure that all of our kids access good stuff because we've got to be able to tease apart uh, kids who uh, may need something else or kids who may just not be responding to the instruction that they're receiving. So we have to continue that. The other thing that we should continue to involve is implementation of positive behavioral interventions and supports. And you know educators love acronyms, and I'm trying to <laughs> stay away from those acronyms this morning. But the PBIS framework is so important because, Larry, there is so much more of a tolerance. Um, If a child cannot read, we teach you how to read, but we assume kids come to us already programmed knowing how to behave. And so uh, PBIS is phenomenal because it allows us as educators to embrace that we're not just about academics. So all of us who are listening right now, we're Mm -hmm. not successful in life because we just got it right with reading and math. We're successful because of those executive functionings. We're successful because of behavioral social, emotional, and we have to give our students that same um, opportunity. Let's pivot a moment to equity, and I'll bring it back to instruction. So, Larry, my explanation of equity is reaching students and families where they are but not leaving them there. It is our responsibility as educators to use education to be the great equalizer. How do we create a process which I'm shifting to being revolutionary, right? Because we have those frameworks in place, but to some degree, we have to bump it up a notch. A notch. And so we have to acknowledge that every student is a general education student first. That becomes important because what we tend to do is we tend to focus on the disability and it minimizes the population of educators who believe that they have anything in common. Let's be frank, we have more in common than we are not alike. And so when we think about our students by virtue of the fact that we say a child has an IEP, 80% of the population will say, I'm not trained. I don't understand that. You understand kids. You understand the heart of kids, and you understand the heart of teaching. What we've done with special education, we've made it so technical that it almost feels like something different needs to happen. So within the concept of a multi-tiered system of support, in most instances, you're talking about addressing intensity of support. And so 
you're looking at what has happened with the regular education uh, curriculum and instruction, how that child is responding to it, and essentially in special education, the specially designed instruction that's really looking at content, methodology, instructional delivery, in many instances, we're not talking about something brand new that the child has never been exposed to, but very technical opportunities to dig into how to make it more intense, how to adapt it to the individual needs of the child. So the core of what we do in special ed, every educator understands the dynamics of how to be diagnostic and individualize it for a specific kid and then understand the relationship between that instruction and the nature of the disability or the outcomes that you want that child to get. That's where you get to much more of the specialized aspect. So I say we have to talk more about what we already know, what we already share, what we already understand because Students with disabilities belong to all of us. Wow. I, I hate to do this because that's a hard act to follow. You did so good, Selfie. <laughs> Lynn, do you, do, you have, do you have anything to add to that, Lynn? <laughs> yeah. I, yeah, I, I want to like <laughs> oh. Sorry, I didn't know if you said Lindsay or Liz. L- Lindsay. Lindsay. Lindsay first, then Liz, if that's okay. Go for it. Okay. Okay. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I couldn't agree with Zelfine more. Um, and I'd say there's two things really working in education that we need to expand. Both of them must live uh, within multi-tiered systems of support and the use of, of positive behavior interventions and supports. And I think to emphasize, both need to expand among the general education teacher population in addition to our yeah. real learning experts yeah. in the building, which are our special educators. But the first is our use of accessible educational materials and technology. As Zelfine said, you know, our education system is changing. The needs for the future workforce are different. We have lots of information at our fingertips. We have to figure out critically what of it is relevant, good, um, and useful for what we're doing. And to do that, we have technology to help us. It can help us mm-hmm. make the curriculum more flexible so teachers can more easily reach all of the different types of learners in their classroom using um, brain-based information, right? So yeah. accessible educational materials are something pioneered in special education. CAST runs a national center on accessible educational materials with really useful information, simple, easy to use. This is a federally funded center, aem.cast.org. If you want information about how to put accessible educational materials information in an IEP, there's sample language there for you to customize. If you want to think, who do I invite to the meeting? Who Who needs to know about how to customize the education? you can use a product that we created called the AIM Navigator. If you want to know, how does my district want to implement this? Well, who else needs to get information? Again, you can get that really, you can start anywhere learning about how to create accessible educational materials. Those are, and that is a, a key hallmark of special education. It is understanding how to customize, right? As Zelfine just mentioned, specially designed instruction. We actually need to do that 
for all of our students in the building. Exactly. Not just exactly. with disabilities. Exactly. Right. The, and, and, the generic term is yeah. personalized learning. You know, but that's what technology, right. somebody just said, you know, allows it to happen. And, and I still say, I'm going to get to you in just a second, Liz, but I still say, okay, when teach, uh, uh, and I, let me use my example. When I was a history teacher, myself as an example, when I was a history teacher, I was taught to how to teach history, okay? But I wasn't taught how to teach kids with special, uh, uh, to personalize for every kid, okay? That's what I was not taught. So when I had to do it, it came as a surprise, all right? It was something that that somehow they missed when they were, when, they were, when I was in education school. And what concerns me is that we may still be missing it, okay? We've got to train teachers to understand what's coming down the pike. There are tools like, like at cast.org, okay? There was rationale, like Zelfine was saying, to make it happen, and we need all the personnel we can to make that happen. Okay, but we got to understand that. Okay, Liz, you're a professor of education. What are your thoughts on this? Liz Bettini, Dr. Bettini. Oh, yeah, no, I I 100% agree with Delphine and Lindsay that MTSS is one of the strongest things we have going for us in education right now um, and and is a fantastic framework for coordinating the work that teachers do to support all students. Um, I think a couple of things that I think we need to think about much more carefully. Um, One is um, how we are providing teachers with support to be able to enact MTSS in the ways that it's intended. Um, so I think oftentimes MTSS systems get enacted in superficially compliant ways um, rather than in the robust and rigorous ways that they are intended. So as yeah. an example, oftentimes you have special educators who are supposed to be providing intensive interventions um, in you know, tier three services, um, but they don't have the materials as Lindsay was talking about um, they don't have the time for planning. They don't have the time exactly. for students. Um, or they, they, they don't, don't have the, the They the don't have the staff to help them. Wait, I've got to say something. They don't have the staff to help them. You know this even better than I do. Down in Massachusetts, where Liz is, there's a whole movement to pay paraeducators more. Right, Liz? Yes. Yeah, absolutely. A, a and and they need to be paid for Right, yeah. and the, the consequence of, you know, special educators don't have the resources that they need to provide those intensive interventions. Their working conditions are very challenging, and so we have exceptionally high attrition rates. We have a hard, enough to, a hard time getting enough folks to fill those jobs to actually enact MTSS. And we have a similar problem, as you're alluding to, with the paraprofessional workforce. So one of the biggest shortages we have right now is actually paraeducators. Um, they are extremely low paid. They tend to have very few training opportunities. And as a consequence, it's hard to recruit and retain folks into those positions. They have uh, one of my, my doc students is working on a, uh, Lindsay Kaler, she's working on a paper right now where she actually finds they have some of the highest attrition rates. Um, and so we need to be thinking much more carefully about how we're supporting educators to enact these systems in productive and rigorous ways. Exactly. So that's, okay, so we've got to evolve this. Now we're going to do a revolution. Let's say they want a revolution. Okay, I'm going to start with the, Pardon. Don't don't don't. Uh, my singing is terrible. Lindsay, okay, I'm gonna start with you. <laughs> okay. Sorry. Well, I, I think yes, this is Lindsay. So there's a couple things. I think universal design for learning is really important for the way we're going to have to structure the future of education. It's about core instruction, and it's about helping educators go through a, a design thinking framework. That actually, because, that helps them 
decisions about how to customize. It can feel very overwhelming to think, how am I going to customize education for 30 students in my classroom? Yet, if we can put these systems in place that help address some of those working conditions issues that we're facing that Liz just referenced, and we can say to educators, empower them to be the professionals they are and use their decision-making, embed some technology, there are ways hmm to better reach and engage learners. And so I think that's definitely something we need to think about. But teacher preparation has got to catch up with the times here. We separate out special education and general education. You referred to this and in your own story, Larry, eloquently. Yeah. It was a surprise and a shock in your classroom to yeah. have students. But I would say to you, it's not just students with disabilities who learn differently. In fact, when we design for those students, we help so many more students. We know more about the brain today and neuroscience than we have ever known. And exactly. all students in the classroom who are learning and engaging differently. So um, for me, the revolution is universal design for learning, taking it to the next step and helping our educators customize for all students in their classroom. Yeah, I couldn't, I couldn't agree with you more. Liz, you're the professor of education. What do you think of that, about, about changing the way we, we teach teachers? 100%. Yeah, I, th I think it's not only kind of breaking down the barriers between general and special education. So, so as Lindsay was talking about, I think we need to do a much better job of providing all of our educators with coherent frameworks so that they're speaking the same language, so that they understand the instructional frameworks one another are using, and so that they can coordinate their work better once they're out into the profession, and so that everyone is better prepared to teach students with disabilities. Um, so 100% on everything Lindsay just shared. I think one thing that I would add to that is I think we also need to break down the barriers between teacher preparation and school districts. So we prepare in teacher preparation, we prepare folks at the university to enact practices in an entirely different setting. And there tends to be um, very limited coordination across uh, the university and then the schools in which teachers are actually teaching. And if we could wow. do some of our teacher preparation in those schools on the site yeah. where they'll be working, um, with the, the kinds of roles that they'll be fulfilling in those schools, I think we would have more productive outcomes. I couldn't agree, I couldn't agree with you more on that one, okay? It's unbelievable, and it's a great segue over to Zelfine, who actually works in the school district, Rockdale County, one of the big county districts near Atlanta, okay? And Zelfine, hearing all this, okay, and again, you're chief of student support, okay? How do you, where do you see all this going? And you must work. Okay, I'm, I'm sure you do, or your superintendent does, with the various colleges, okay, that are, that are giving you guys teachers, okay? And if, if we put it all together from your point of view, you're literally in the trenches all the time. Jelfine. Yes, I am. And, and let me just start by saying this, uh, Larry, that it's hard to tear down a house you help to build. And so I also want to talk about preparation, but I want to weave in collaboration, right? Because sure. it's a difference in making a deposit and an investment. And so when you ask using that leading by convening strategy, who else cares about this, and you get the right players at the table, uh, that's when you begin to make that magic. So in Georgia, we have been implementing uh, the CEDAR project work, and here's what we found exactly what you just heard, that there was a total disconnect 
between uh, professional learning for in-service and pre-service teachers. So we would get brand new teachers, and those teachers would have to be retrained because school districts use certain language, and how we taught it um, from a higher ed standpoint wasn't what we were talking about um, in the classroom. Let's be frank. uh, Teacher retention is an issue. It's disproportionate uh, for special education teachers, but when you talk to those teachers, Here's what they tell you. They tell you that support for the work and especially close to them in that building, it matters. So we're talking a lot about preparation from the teacher standpoint, but it also has to be from the leader standpoint. Every school building deserves an inclusive leader. Inclusive leadership matters. It matters for a building level principal or administrator to approach each and every day for each and every child. It doesn't mean that you get it and you won't make mistakes, but it does mean that you're working hard to create an inclusive environment. So if it's inclusive, it's inclusive for everyone. If it's toxic, it's toxic for everyone. And that's where we have the issues with teachers uh, choosing to not say. And I also want to talk about high leverage practices because it's been a phenomenal rollout. And what we found initially was because we said these are high leverage practices for special ed, uh, then general ed teachers didn't pay attention to it. But what we know is those high-leverage practices are high-leverage because they help many students, not just uh, students with disabilities. So, again, I think the key is really having an aligned professional learning system uh, from in-service, from pre-service to in-service. It's also having a strong professional learning system once you're in that building. Special education can be very isolating in that you may be the only EBD teacher in that whole school. Um, If you're in Mm -hmm. a smaller school district, you may be the only one providing that service in the entire school district. And so what we know, I'll say it in this way, and I'll give it back to you, Larry, Asawabona is a a South African greeting that means uh, we see you. And the response is, Jebo Sawabona, we see you seeing us. And that's all our kids want. That's all our teachers want. That's all our communities want. They just want to know that they've been seen and they've been heard. We don't have to be the heroes and the sheroes. We just have to create a platform to bring people together. Yeah, you're doing a Was that Zulu, by the way? When you said South Africa? Yeah. Yeah. Good enough. I I know that because I'm a big fan of Lady Smith, Black Mombasa, the incredible. (laughs) Thing you grew about South Africa. <laughs> I took a shot there. I knew that they're Zulu guys. Okay, and uh, <laughs> thank you, Zelphine. Which now I've got to swing back to Liz Bettini on this. Liz, okay, you you are a professor yeah. of education, okay, and Zelphine was saying that there's a disconnect, okay, yeah. which everybody kind of knows there is between the the schools of education, okay, and and, and the school districts. Okay, and I'm curious, okay, has anybody, I'm just using Wheelock because you were, you were there, okay, has anybody mm-hmm. been attending, is anybody in the College of Education talking to the school districts, BPS, Boston Public Schools, and the surrounding districts, yeah. and, and asking them what they need and actually seeing what they're doing for professional development so that it, does, it doesn't fall on the school district, that the teachers are better yeah. trained to walk into a school district. And, again, I'm picking on Wheelock because you're there, so please don't feel right. like I'm... No, no, yeah. that's great. Yeah. Well, I, I think that there's a growing movement to build uh, partnership programs between teacher preparation and in-service school districts. Um, and Wheelock is, is really doing a lot of work on that front. So we are 
Uh, we have a, a great partnership, for example, with the Trotter School in Boston Public Schools where our elementary educators are actually prepared on-site at the Trotter. Um, they're prepared uh, in lessons that are co-taught by Boston Public Schools teachers and uh, BU faculty, BU WELOC faculty. So we, we have uh, partnership programs like that one. Another one we have is at the Landmark School. Um, and we're working on building more partnerships with some of the, the districts that are experiencing shortages right now. So we're really targeting those districts with big shortages to try to build partnerships that where folks are prepared in the districts collaboratively between the district personnel and the teacher prep program. And I think there's a lot of good examples of folks who've done this other places. So for example, in uh, Virginia Commonwealth University has a great program called the Vir uh, Virginia, oh, sorry, Richmond, um, Oh, I'm going to blank on the name of it right now, of course, but it's the, okay. the Richmond Teachers Program. Yep, and it's run by Laurent Scott and the Minority Educator Recruitment Retention Center, um, where they are preparing uh, Virginia special education teachers in Richmond City Schools um, to serve in the roles that Richmond needs. Another great example, Margarita Bianco runs a great one at CU Denver, um, focusing on rural school districts because they have some of the biggest shortages in rural districts there. So I think there's a lot of good examples that we can build on to, to create programs that align preparation with the needs of in-service school districts. Yeah, and so let me just swing back to Lori. Lori, you still there? Lori Vanderplug? I am. Yeah. Lori, hearing all this, okay, and, and again, you're Associate Executive Director at CEC, but we're learning, you know, and, and I agree with this, that everybody's involved in this. It's not just special ed teachers. Every, if I may, to broaden the term, every child is exceptional in their own way, okay? And we have to, you know, we have to get, get it all together. And as Delphine said, collaborate, okay? And as you, you look at this from your high perch, okay, the big castle on top of the hill, the associate executive director, <laughs> executive director of CC. Well, how are we doing on that? Okay. Do we see school districts? Uh, and a good question is, when you have your big conference, do enough superintendents go there and start to understand exactly what's needed here? So to, to quote, collaborate, break down the walls, et cetera, that's going to make a huge difference. Okay. And, and I might add in colleges as well. What's your thoughts, Lord, to bring you back into this? Well, I think in order for us to leverage the change that's going to be necessary, we have to um, collaborate with all of the different stakeholder groups, and that would be the superintendents, yeah. building principals, the special ed administrators, you know, the, uh, the staff, the faculty, but um, almost more importantly, the families, and making sure that they oh, are engaged in the process as, as well. So, you know, family engagement is um, extremely important for us, and the panel did speak to this um, at the CEC convention. Uh, we had some representation from the family voice there. But this is going to require an all-hands-on-deck. Um, and so CEC does a lot of outreach, a lot of collaboration with all the different national organizations um, in developing those relationships and the partnerships that are necessary for us to be able to change the needle. Uh, we can't continue to work in isolation or yeah, silo as we currently. Um, we have to be at the table, as uh, Zelvine said, you know, utilizing, leading by convening and coalescing around the issue and, and brainstorming um, some, some positive uh, resolutions for us to be able to move forward. So CEC is committed um, to work collaboratively oh, uh, with the superintendents, the principals associations, um, the local school districts, state departments of education, and certainly uh, the institutes of higher education. So we're looking forward to continuing uh, this conversation about what we need to really be doing in the in the future. 
Um, and, you know, our motto is with change comes opportunity. Uh, we've had a lot of changes that we've been hit with coming out of the pandemic, uh, but we have a real opportunity um, to really develop that strong, positive, uh, sustainable system uh, that we so desperately need uh, for our um, individuals with disabilities and their families as we move forward. Yeah, it really, it really, really is important. I want to ask one, one last question before we leave, but Lindsay, I've got to ask you this. Okay, and we haven't touched on this too much, but I, I think you, you will know this best, and that's the use of te- leveraging and using technology, okay, to make this easier. And just talk about all that. Okay, Lindsay, if I'm, I hope I'm not catching you off guard on that. Lindsay <laughs> no. Jones. Yes, I think there's a couple ways that we can use technology um, to both with, for educators to help students, but also to help educators and remove some of the burden from them. So I've talked a little yeah. bit about you know, technology gives us the ability to make curriculum and information more flexible and to customize that to the way we know brains work. It also should be something where we know that educators spend, I think there are certain studies that say even up to 13 hours a week on paperwork and administrative tasks. Yeah. Yeah. If we could use technology to streamline some of that and help remove that burden from those types of, of um, tasks where they're not actually directly engaging with and teaching students, it could buy us some time in the schedule and it could lift that burden off them. So I think we need to be thinking about how technology can help us in all of those ways. Really, right. the goal is that the technology gives more time for educators and students to work together to customize education and deliver education that is customized. And I'll say say one more thing on that, okay? Uh, A lot of teachers, a lot of people, okay, have trouble with technology, okay, even though we live in a technological age. And it's universal design for learning that makes that easier. When we start to when people, it's easier to do technology when we take into consideration all the challenges that people have. I mean, everything you guys do, okay, is so important. And Lori, you put together a beautiful panel here because they come from the three sides of all this, okay? And we just got to start making changes out there, okay? And convince people to get into education and understand and to have the public understand that education is science, okay? It's, it's learning. That's what it's all about. So I, I can't thank all three. It's Delphine, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. You were terrific. Thank Lindsay, you. thank you. Yeah, thank you. That yeah, was great. Liz, enjoy Boston. Okay. <laughs> thank your little you. rainstorm. Your little rainstorm yesterday. Okay. Well, it's almost spring. It's spring next week. We're, we're fine. We're good. Okay. Nope. <laughs> No problem. All right, Lori, did great, my friend. Thank you. Well, thank you, Larry, and thank you for the opportunity. Uh, lots to talk about, lots to think about. You're always welcome here. That goes for all three of you. Stay in touch, and I thank you all so very much. Have a good day, and everybody take care. Thanks a million. Thank you. Bye-bye. Great. Well. Thank Bye-bye. you. Bye. Thank you all. Bye-bye. Okay. Wow. Good old CEC comes through again. Okay, exceptionalchildren.org. And uh, there should not be any barriers anymore, okay? It's easy to pull them apart. We've got to figure out ways to do it, especially with a shortage of personnel. There's ways to do this. There's ways to do this.
All right. We're going to archive the show over at ace-ed.org. Please check out everything we're going to do over there. It's all free for educators. It's all about equity. That's what it all boils down to. I'm Larry Jacobs. Thanks for listening.